welcome everybody to another safety view. So our our host today is Rosa. So Rosa, take it away. Oh, that was quick. I, I do want to um, take a moment though to acknowledge that the safety view is brought to you by three hostesses. Um, Tamara, who is just introducing us, uh, and Lisa Land, um, who is uh, talking to us from the Netherlands. So. Um, Tamara uh, works with Safeopedia, and they're our hosts for today for streaming live. And Lisa has her own consulting practice. Um, and you're, Lisa, you're currently developing a leadership uh, program for um, IAEA, right? Which stands for what? It's the International Atomic Energy Association. It's an international organization using nuclear for safe purposes for peaceful purposes. There you go. Thank you very much for doing that, Lisa. We appreciate it. <laughs> Exciting. Yes, it is, it is. Um, so um, the topic for today is uh, the myth of crisis management. And the fact uh, that came to me because uh, right now, obviously one of the biggest factors that a lot of companies are talking about is the amount of stress in the organizations. I was uh, shocked when I saw the global wellness report that put the, um, that 76% of the organizations uh, that they <clears throat> surveyed put stress as the number one issue that they're working with right now in organizations. And we all know uh, that, you know, what stress can lead to. So I'm not going to go over those basics today because you're all, all very familiar with them. Um, but I'm wondering uh, how much time each of us spends thinking about our own stress and how that is going to impact the way we work with our, our people and our leaders and also how that then the uh, stress of the leadership and the people that have power, how that affects the employees. So I want to go um, into that for a little bit and begin with uh, the fact that um, why uh, do we have to take care of ourselves? So I have an opening question. Uh, and there's, there's only a few of us, right, Tamara? How many people are on? We have 15 people, 16 people. Oh, it keeps growing. It'll keep growing. While, while we're still small, if you want to say something, uh, raise your hand. Otherwise, you can type into the chat room, which is an active place for people to post their comments and opinions. And we encourage everybody to post their questions there. <clears throat> also, uh, to respond to each other's questions, if you already have experience. Because this is not a uh, situation where I am the wise one and you are all gonna benefit from my wise words. It's uh, and, uh, what our thought is that uh, we wanted to gather a group of people who were interested in exploring these ideas so that we can build on each other's ideas. So what I, I'm a really good listener and you might've noticed when I write, uh, I, all, I, I, I try to incorporate what I'm hearing from people uh, and the feedback that I get is, oh my gosh, what an insightful article. Well, it's really the insights of everybody that I talk to uh, that's in those articles. So please, uh, if we take that perspective um, that we are building on each other's ideas, it's not so much about 
being criticizing and saying, oh, I don't agree with that. It's the idea of yes and, right? Yes and. It's a really, really powerful word, and. Uh, and we don't go around saying but. That's not a good word. But is out, and is in. Okay. So, yes, somebody was gonna say something? All right. So uh, my question is then, uh, how does uh, stress show up in you right now with family or at work? Uh, and how does stress show up with the people around you? How does stress show up in, with you in your life right now? And how does it show up with the people around you? I find, uh, right, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Lisa. Mm -hmm. I'll just kind of joke about this. I, I would love to contribute, but, but you asked me not to use the term but. And that <laughs> is interestingly where much of my stress is in eating, in managing by overeating. So I'm being silly, but uh, I think many of us struggle with um, making the healthier choices. Overeating, so not taking care of ourselves, thinking that we are going to ease our anxiety by indulging ourselves, right? It's a good one. I think one that I fall into is um, sometimes taking things a little bit more sensitively when you're under stress than I do when I'm in a more positive, passionate mo move, mo mode. Also, I can't speak correctly when I'm under stress. Uh, Philip, I saw you had your hand up. Go. Yeah, for me, I think it's um, the, the interpersonal relationships that are causing probably the, the biggest stress levels for me. Um, and, and the perceived marginalization because you, in conversations, in the environment that we're in now, we, we say things and sometimes we don't get a response. Mm. But, but what does that lack of response mean? Does it mean they don't agree with me? Does it mean that I'm talking off the top of my head? You know, that that whole thing. Um, so so we, a group of us, very good friends, work together. We have made a point of, of at least once a week getting together just for a, a conversation, or even though we're all working separately now. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that one, the, uh, the silence, right? Does that mean they disagree or does it mean they yeah. get my email or whatever? I, I think Kelvin, you had your hand up. Yeah, Rose, I, I was going to make an observation because you also asked not just for ourselves, but um, uh, for others. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing I've noticed with our people, uh, and I'll just put a comment up in chat about disconnection, isolation. I noticed with certain members of the team, they'll go offline. Now I'm talking from a context we're in, in Melbourne and we're in stage four lockdown. So we can't leave our homes or any of those things. So everyone's in this video environment. Um, so we don't have that normal you know, um, connection where yes, observational connections with people in your workplaces and things like this. So you, when, I know, when I get a sense that something's going wrong, it's like someone disappears off the radar from, from the team. And that's one of the signals for me is, is so, so, suddenly someone's become disconnected in some way. Mm. Yeah, so challenging. So I saw an interesting comment in the chat about regret. Um, who was it that posted that? Was that you, Pam? 
or was it Tanya? This well, time I really mean Tanya. Tanya. I, was, I was agreeing with her though. I never really thought about it until she put it down and then all of a sudden I thought, absolutely. So Tanya, what, uh, what did you mean by that? It's so interesting to me. Well, I mean, once, once you say something, you can't take it back. Um, and, you know, there's a lot, I think, that's, that people might be, uh, because this is all just virtual, you might be letting things slip that you wouldn't do in person. And, mm. or maybe you would do it in person as well. But, you know, it's, it's still, the, the reaction is the same that, you know, you might be thinking about it later and say, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that. You can all identify with that, I'm sure. Sandra? Uh, Rosa, I'd like to just say something. I think Sandra I don't know if and then Lisa. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Sandra, please. No problem, no problem. Uh, I've been under a lot of additional stress at home, both in work, and those are kind of feeding each other a bit. And I find myself, and, and I think others, more likely to fall in different sorts of thinking traps than I would under my normal kind of state. So more likely to to slip into catastrophizing, like thinking about worst case scenarios a lot, or more likely to personalize things or, or magnify things and make things a bigger deal. And I think that's also compounded by this virtual environment when I'm interacting with, um, whether it's colleagues or, uh, you know, in events like this, you know, uh, just, um, just making a big bigger deal out of things or thinking maybe I sounded stupid or that maybe I, I offended somebody or like any number of thinking traps I find myself a lot more prone to um, to fall into when I'm in under the kind of pressures that that I that we've all been in <laughs> under the past few months. Well, Lisa as a clinical psychologist what do you think about all this? Well I see such a, a parallel stream of thought here and I pray that my mind communicates in words what you know i i see the linkage as i think our ability to to effectively recognize our behavior right now is very primitive i think um in that when we're feeling unsafe and we don't have control um we become very self-protective and hypersensitive going back to tomorrow's first observation and we do have a short fuse because we tend to be in this I'm being attacked mode um, and I, I just want us to conceivably it's it's easier to do intellectually than to actually adapt to it but if we could start recognizing that these self-protective approaches that seem so dysfunctional may actually be functional responses to this great deal of stress we're having. And maybe if we could get our minds around and, and do some self-talk of, you know, I just overreacted, yet that's expected in this moment. And maybe it's self-protective. If we could be easier on ourselves it could paradoxically loosen up some of the intensity. So I hope that was clear. And if not, please ask questions. Are you saying that when we're not so hard on ourselves, that releases some of the stress? Because uh, as Buddha said, don't suffer over your suffering, which has always been very helpful to me. Uh, don't suffer over 
what you've what you've done because that increases the stress. Um, yes, it is part of that, Rosa. And it's recognizing the extreme level of stress we're in and how that could be a very adaptive and appropriate response. Mm. And so accepting that part of it too and being kinder to ourselves when we're reacting this way. Ooh, well, I have to take a deep breath on that one. That's very meaningful to me. Uh, Mike wants to make a comment and then I want to take us through a little exercise. Go ahead, uh, Michael. Uh, thank you. I, I'm Mike. pretty concerned. I'm under stress because the people around me in my subculture, to me, are not responding logically to this risk. Mm -hmm. I live in the retirement community. We have people that are going to people's houses, playing cards, uh, going out for coffee, uh, as if going to the pool. And uh, I, have a, I have a group of people we have, that, that I send information out to, and I'm constantly doing research and sending information about C-19 out. And, you know, I, I think probably they just delete my messages now. It's like there are a bunch of senior people and uh, some of them are health professionals. And, and it's like, uh, this is no big thing. So frankly, I'm under stress because I'm concerned with these people. Sure. Uh, literally, I had to yell and scream at a friend who was just diagnosed with cancer. And if you kept on going to coffee, I'm, I'm sure eventually something would have happened and he would probably be dead now. So I, I'm not perceiving this. I, I keep equating to Darwinism and, and high stress hormones. People don't necessarily have control. They lose control rationally or they become very illogical. Yes. They, they uh, don't want to accept situations. You know, it will never happen to me. It will happen to somebody else. And I, I'm in a state where debts are rising and South Carolina, and I, I don't get it. And, and we're all at risk for people that are, you know, in their senior years. We, we all have preconditions. And I just don't get it. It's like, you know, I look out my window and I see two people talking to each other. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they perceive how the pathology of C-19. I, I really Michael? Until I, people do not perceive this. Michael, yes. I, I, I wanted to um, connect with you on this because I, I feel the same way, but on another side, did we not already set ourselves up for that kind of um, interpretation and reaction? At the beginning of the crisis, did, not, did they not go around saying, don't worry, this is just like the flu? Did they not lay the foundational foundation oh, for oh, groundwork I, I, for that I, I, dismissal? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, Lisa, you were going to say something probably. Lisa? Well, I, I was going, there's, there's such a myriad 
level of reasons of why people are either in denial or as Tamara just pointed out, hoping that, that the experts have given them information they can follow, meaning the fake experts. Um, but then there's also conceivably, or end, there's also conceivably just basic um, biology at play and our brain work. When we're under great stress, the first thing that kicks in is our amygdala, which is the emotional response place in our brain. And when that kicks in, it's fight or flight. So that shuts down our ability to process from our higher brain, frontal cortex. Um, And so that, I'm sure, is factoring in as well. So you're smiling, Mike. Logic is not helpful. Logic is not helpful, right? Is that what you're saying, Lisa? No, I'm saying we have to have both. We need oh, no, these fighters. I mean, when you're under stress like that, logic isn't likely to get through because your amygdala is in full swing. It's, blo- it's blocking. Correct. And that's self-control. That we are able to say, wait, I'm freaking out. Mm-hmm. Let me breathe. And mm-hmm. allow that frontal lobe to start bringing in some logic mm-hmm. and rational thought. Oh, perfect, Lisa. And I want everybody to know that we did not rehearse this before, but this is such a perfect segue. And I've been reading the comments in the chat. Uh, I hope we can record them because, Lisa, I think it would be really great to take these comments and for us to maybe write something about them because they're so profound. I mean, just what everybody is going through and their insights. Um, So this is uh, what um, I've been talking about lately and doing in my life, which is how do I deal with my stress and my reactions in this situation so that I can be of service or of help to others? Uh, Because I'm I'm human like all of you and uh, when, Mike was talking about his experience trying to tell people about the COVID-19. It reminded me of an incident I had with a very, very dear cousin where she is a rabid, like really, really strict adherent of all of the practices. And she was very angry with me because I wasn't following them with my mom and we had a huge altercation. I mean, it blew up. So we didn't talk to each other for like three weeks. That's how big it was. Uh, So these things are very, very uh, emotional uh, and they have to do with, uh, you know, the assumptions that we each carry inside of us. And when, when those are being violated, we react negatively. She was violating my assumptions that I was doing the right thing for my mom and I violated her assumptions about what needed to be done to protect my mother. It's, it's really basic. Both of us are good people. But um, luckily, we've worked things out, and uh, so that's good. How did we work them out? Well, I'm, uh, there's, there's a whole trend where you should have these difficult conversations with people because uh, you can't let things go without addressing them. You must address them uh, and give the person feedback as to why um, uh, they, they were improper or why they hurt your feelings or whatever. And I took a different approach this time because uh, 
I have been studying for many, many years uh, Buddhist teachings and also practicing meditation. Uh, but what I really like about Buddhism is that uh, he said it's not always necessary to have a conversation when you are having an interpersonal difficulty. Uh, the real problem lies within yourself. Uh, and if you were to address it within yourself, the conflict most of the time will disappear. And I have found that to be true so many times that if I'm able to cope with my own emotions, uh, I, uh, uh, the, uh, the conflict with the other person or the group disappears. So I wanted to take um, just a, a quick show of hands. How many of you have a meditation practice? Let's see how many, one, two, three, four. I do. Okay, quite a few of you, thank you. All right, so this is really more of an opportunity to, to share uh, what, build on what Lisa was offering. Um, and Lisa, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but can we do the, my, the practice and then you, you can make your observation? Okay, she's saying yes. Yeah, I have, no, I'm not, I have nothing to add. Okay, all right. So um, this particular practice is called RAIN, R-A-I-N, RAIN. Uh, and it's uh, by Tara Brock, who is available on YouTube, by the way, her lectures. She's also a clinical psychologist. Uh, so she gives a really great neurological perspective on why these things work. And so uh, if you want more information on that, I do recommend it. That's Tara, T-A-R-A, Brock, B-R-A-C-H. All right. So it's rain. And the uh, so let's... Um, for all of the, you who are willing, you don't have to close your eyes, but you can if you want, because it really uh, helps looking more towards the interior when you close your eyes. So please let's uh, take a very deep breath in, all the way down to the seat of our pants and let go slowly. One more. and breathe out, and then one more. Each breath that we take reminds us that we are alive, reminds us that the planet provides what we need, oxygen, Oxygen feeds the brain. And so now we're going to do a body scan. The R part of RAIN is to recognize. We want to recognize what's going on in our body. When you become, when you do this, you will become more present. We tend to leave our body and become disassociated when we are in stress. So this would be the first step of regaining our center's body scan. So let's start at the feet, feel the feet. Hopefully you, they're on the ground, firmly planted and breathe into your feet. And release and feel the energy in your scanning, move up your legs to your knees. 
breathe in and notice what's going on if there's any pain or discomfort just acknowledge it move up your awareness to your thighs and the back of the thighs and your seat on the chair and relax the shoulders. Take a deep breath into the shoulders and relax the weight of your body onto the chair. Here we are. Scan your stomach area, your back, your chest, your heart, your lungs, your organs. Take a moment to notice what you feel. Moving your awareness up to your throat. Is your throat open or do you feel tension there? Are your shoulders relaxed or do you feel tension there? Moving up to the neck. The neck and shoulders is where most stress is stored. So notice any tension there. And moving up to your face, your scalp, your ears, your eyes and your nose. Feel the air going in through your nose freely. Is there congestion there? Into your mouth, feel your tongue, the inside of your mouth. Is there any discomfort there? When I get under stress, I get sores in my mouth. It's the first sign that my stress is out of control. Where's your first sign that your stress is getting under control? Is it back pain? Shoulder pain. So that's the recognition part of the meditation. Now we go to acknowledgement, which is the A, to acknowledge that part of our body that is a little bit under stress right now. And I want you to think about a time in your life where you were feeling pretty stressed, but not trauma. Don't go back to a traumatic situation. Go to maybe a, an argument with a family member or you were worried about a pet, something that is not life-threatening, but is stressful to you. And notice where you feel that stress. If you feel it as regret, you might feel it in the heart. If you feel it as something you said, 
and you wish you had spoken up, you'll feel it, you might feel it in your throat. So we acknowledge that. And at this point, it can be helpful to bring your heart, your hand up to where that stress is and offer it compassion. Acknowledge and forgive. Acknowledge your reaction and forgive yourself. And now the I is to investigate. Let's look a little more at why we reacted this way. Ask, you can, some of us can actually have a dialogue with that stress and ask it what it's trying to tell us. What does it need? Does it need more love? Does it need our forgiveness? Does it need more sleep? More time to relax and have fun? What does it need? Mine is saying to forgive myself for losing patience in the moment and forgive the person who said those words. See their humanity and mine. And so this brings us into the end of rain, which is to nurture. And this is where we offer ourselves compassion. Deep breath. Breathe in compassion and let go of the stress. And this is the nurturing part. And I will end this meditation with a Buddhist prayer. May all beings without exception be free from pain and suffering. May all beings without exception be happy May all beings without exception be healthy and may all beings without exception 
live their life with ease. Deep breath, and when you're ready, you may open your eyes. And notice how you feel compared to how you felt before we did the meditation. I feel more present. And now I can listen to people without defenses, without having to be right. Lisa? Did you want to speak, Lisa? I saw that you unmuted yourself. Oh, no. I'm, I just had texted you, thank you, and I offered namaste. Ah, yes, namaste. Yes. Who notices the uh, a shift in their presence, how you're showing up right now? Has anyone noticed that? An internal change. And it's okay, we're going to have some silence here. It's okay till someone wishes to speak. I do, I didn't know you were going to do a guided uh, meditation, and I think it is really interesting how your imagery really, and the words used, really aligned with what I was attempting to say earlier. And it kind of reinforces that learning through action can be so much more valuable than learning through words. And then linking back to what Buddha had written, how sometimes you don't need to talk. Yes. So in this current state, I want you to think about how might you listen differently? How might you react differently to somebody that typically can annoy you or trigger you? Do you feel this could make a difference? Maybe you don't. You can say why you wouldn't then as well. Doubts are as valuable as affirmations. Yes, uh, Robin? For me, um, staying in the moment, even, even, even at the point that uh, one person or a lot of people start talking um, and I start to rush to keep up or to think about, you know, what else, what next to say, um, to be staying in the moment. And at the point, if I start to feel stressed due to the 
conversation to, I'm going to think more around what you mentioned is this with this conflict or this feeling of how, what this person is saying, how they may be coming across. Is this something I need to be resolving within myself or is it something or and probably and or is it something that I need to be addressing with the other person or not? So I think that's that's something I really took away from this is staying in the moment, doing the deep breathing, staying present, and then ascertaining is this a con is this something resolvable within me? What is this saying to me in terms of my feelings of conflict or talking to the other person as well? The first time that you experience, and I don't know if anyone else has, please jump in, but have you experienced a time when you changed your perspective or your approach and you noticed that people around you began to respond very differently? Have, have any, has anyone had that experience? I think I see it with my children all the time. I have twin four-year-olds and we've been home together for four months while I'm trying to work full time. Um, and it's been intense to say the least. Uh, but I definitely find that when I take the time and, and find a way or a few minutes to, to calm myself a bit more and be a little bit more patient or give myself a few minutes space between one thing and the next thing, like, um, you know, we all respond better and more calmly. Like when I go to them in an irritable, impatient state, I'm more likely to get that back. And then it all kind of escalates for us because four-year-olds will feed off my energy uh, quite, quite a bit. So if I can find the time to to be more present, it, it makes a huge difference. And, and it's hard working from home right now, not just task switching, but totally like mentally role switching. So going from being here in my office, uh, deeply embedded in my work and what I do, and then walking out the door and thrown into a totally different universe. <laughs> it's, it's very hard for me. It takes a while to get out of that, that work mode into the, the mother mode so that when I can, you know, um, mitigate that a little bit, it, it works much better with all of us <laughs> behaving more helpfully. Yes. Um, one thing that I have found is the more you do uh, a mindfulness practice, the easier it is to access that center and that presence so that you can get to the point, Sandra, when you're, okay, now I'm going to go visit my, you know, spend time with my children. You do the practice and it sometimes gets down to just breathing a little bit before you go out there and you are in that different mindset. So, um, this concept of mindfulness feeds into everything that people have been writing about and talking about as far as effective leadership. They're telling us, create a sense of psychological safety. Well, how can you do that when you're stressed? People are picking up on your stress. They're, uh, these are the mirror neurons that when you walk into a room, you pick up their feelings and they pick up your feelings. And if you're in a position of power, that is especially instantaneous. When the boss walks into the room or comes into the Zoom meeting, you notice a difference in the way people are interacting depending on, oh, now I feel safer because this person is here or 
now my stress has increased because the competition is, has just gone up. Uh, so that uh, they tell us to uh, raise the emotional intelligence of the people that work for us. Um, how can we do that if we don't raise ours first? Um, yes. Practice mindfulness, vulnerability, authenticity. Uh, these are all things that uh, we read about. Um, Brene Brown is, is you know, very popular on this subject, uh, Amy Evanson. But the whole thing starts with who we are when we're with people. Who are we? Are we, are we present? Uh, so that's why I have been talking so much and teaching so much about mindfulness because it's, uh, it's something that doesn't come naturally to most people unless you were raised that way. But it's uh, critical to your ability to listen and really hear what people are saying and then respond in a way that is going to create that psychological safety, is going to create that understanding, is going to allow you to interpret the information in a way that is going to be helpful. Because if you're responding from a place of fear, it can only create more fear. So Lisa? Rosa, I, I have so many responses to this, but it all starts with Sandra's um, discussion of how she's changed roles so much. And in my mind, that's kind of one of the dark gifts of this whole pandemic is the opportunity, if you will, if we have the resources and the, um, the ability to do so, to adapt quickly to read our environment, which links to, I usually have called it awareness of being present and being aware and making those adjustments to changing context, adjusting to the uncertainty. And Sandra is already becoming a master at it. I think that's a great representation if you have the resources to manage it, to build that capability. Um, and the power of awareness and being able to do that. Yes. So uh, from working from that um, platform now, what is, um, what does stress look like in the people around you? And what outcome would you prefer to see or what outcome would you like to see going on with the people around you that you're working with, your family? What would you like to see happening? Obviously, we would like people to listen to us, <laughs> to acknowledge that we are offering information to be helpful. What else? Yes, Mike. Mm -hmm. Michael. You're muted. <clears throat> Well, obviously, uh, I, I, I feel that um, I, I have an obligation. And I think we all do, especially uh, during these times. 
if we could help make people more perceptive about this risk, I, I think we will accomplish a lot. And this is a source of stress for me or motivation. Might be positive. And Michael, like so I would like to I would like to hear some responses from some of the other two, what Michael has just said, because um, if we want to develop the perception, perceptual ability in the people around us so that they will um, listen to the information that we're trying to offer, because obviously we have good intentions. Why isn't it being received? I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on that. Yes, go ahead, Philip. So I, I'm working in the, in the Emirates, as many of you will know. Mm -hmm. um, I watch the news, so I, I see what's going on in, in the US. I see what's going on in the UK. You know, the, the lockdown restrictions are lifted and the local beaches are, <laughs> there's no room on them. They're so packed. People just don't seem to, you know, it, it's this, you cannot tell me what to do. It's my right to do what I, what I feel. I'm a free man. What I see here is very, very different. You would not see, see you'd very infrequently, I'll say, see someone walking in the very busy, crowded city without a mask on. People are very, very conscious of, of not just protecting themselves, but protecting the community. And I think that that's very much the way things are seen in, in many of the, the non-Western cultures where they're very, very much about the collective rather than the individual. So for me, I, you know, it, it is very, very different. I'm, I'm happy to be here at the moment than in the UK, for sure. Interesting, Philip. Yes, I, I heard your, um, <clears throat> your class, or I'd say webinar, on, on the topic of oh, cross-cultural, um, yeah, uh, working with cross-cultural um, environments uh, on this topic of safety and collectivism versus individualism is certainly a big one. But so how, uh, what I'm aiming at is examining, looking into this issue, and I would love to know if you feel that it just wouldn't work, that if we were to change our perspective, <clears throat> that it would uh, somehow make other people more open to what we're trying to share. I put a, a link to a podcast in the, in the chat about why shame is a bad public health tool, especially in a pandemic. And I think whether it's, you know, me trying to talk to my sister about quitting smoking or, or this case about wearing a mask, um, if we come from a place where it's interpreted and this may not be our, you know, we may not be trying to, to shame people or make them feel guilty, but if, if, our communication is perceived that way, it kind of puts people automatically on the defensive and that, that can hinder us uh, from getting our point across. And sometimes there's some research around, you know, when I, when I think about masks in particular, for example, uh, there's some research around hand washing from, not now, but from previously where uh, they got improved hand washing rates at a hospital. It's not when they put signs out about, 
you need to wash your hands to protect your own health. But when they put signs out that said, you need to wash your hands to protect the health of your patients. And so I saw on a, on a brand of mask at the store uh, yesterday, it said, wear masks, love people. And I, I thought, um, you know, they were, they were trying to get there. So there's a lot in the psychology about how we communicate with people in these types of topics that, that work better than others. But when you automatically put people in the defensive and, um, you know, they're, they're coming from a different set of assumptions, like you said earlier, that can just defeat our purpose, um, you know, whether we're coming from a good place and right or not. So there's a lot there's a lot to be mindful of in how we communicate with people if we want them to, to have a chance at hearing what we're saying. Thank you, Sandra. There's a lot to unpack there. For me, when I was listening to you, I thought, isn't that the typical approach to safety in general? You know, bring yeah. attention to what they're doing wrong. Um, and our opinion, but that is indeed what we're probably doing, right? That's brilliant. Brilliant, Rosa. Brilliant. Yeah. Although, Sandra, I've heard, um, I've heard it said that, you know, knowing your audience can help as well. I also heard of a hospital, uh, again, nothing to do with this pandemic, that was trying to deal with uh, low hand hygiene rates and call it shaming if you want, but um, they, this one this one professional had said um, the lowest, uh, how they measured this is a mystery to me, but the lowest compliance rate was with doctors. And he uh, said, you know what, let's take a look at doctors. It is hyper competitive to get into medical school. It is hyper competitive to get a residency. It is hyper competitive to get a placement. It is hyper competitive to get an academic appointment. Their entire life is just a huge competition. So we said, okay, all right, why don't we use that? We'll use the intrinsic motivation of their, their competitive, the, the competitive nature of their profession in order to be able to increase hand hygiene rates. So what they did was they posted them the hand hygiene rates by floor in the public elevator. You wouldn't believe that in days, everybody was at 100 because they couldn't possibly acknowledge that floor seven was better than floor 11, you know, like no way, like, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, it's a different way to look at it, but I mean, it, sometimes that can be helpful too. I love that. I love that, Tanya. So creative. <laughs> hey, Tanya, you bring up a really great point too, in that, you know, all of our stress and what one person labels stress is a motivator of another. When somebody feels safe, how come that same context makes another not feel safe? And too often we kind of kind of want to whitewash everything in the same way and we're all just so unique. And that goes back to the whole, how do we adapt ourselves to the uniqueness of others and their situation and our own? So great comments. Yeah, I love it. I'm also wondering though, Tanya, um, when we use uh, competitiveness with seems to have worked with the doctors uh, but it doesn't work with everyone because I had um, I had an experience where I went to a, a training class and the, the final exercise was that um, everybody was to uh, write a note to someone in the course that that they felt um, they had connected with and had really shared us 
something deep with them. Uh, and uh, so this was a long time ago, but I remember the impact on me that I only got three notes and other people had piles of notes, okay? And I left that class really depressed, <laughs> really depressed. Mm. Uh, so I was supposed to learn something from that, but I, don't, I, 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 I just felt that, uh, you know, ostracized. I felt ostracized. So we have to be, uh, really be sensitive mm -hmm. to that. I think if I were going to do that, I would definitely do um, a little survey to see uh, how everyone fared in that, in that exercise. We might be surprised to find out that a good portion of people, it wasn't fun for a good portion of the people. We might, I don't know. Then again, you might find out it was a great in, uh, intervention. So I, I think we have to uh, get more data when we when we do these things. I think well, um, Rosa, I, I really I really hear your point. Uh -huh. I think what I was hearing though was that Sandra who was speaking just a bit ago. That was Tanya. Mm -hmm. but sorry, not, Tanya. The it was, it was Tanya. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like they did take these personality traits of competitiveness. Uh, motivating them into account before initiating it, which reinforces your point, right? Because we do need to be thoughtful about the strategies we're using to connect actually match what's motivating to those on the receiving end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and see, Lisa, what I'm thinking, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling what Rosa's thinking is it matched the motivator of the most dominant and prestigious role in the department, the doctors, right? So yes. now my yes. question is, you've got these hyper competitive people who can get very abrasive to individuals. Right. So what kind of culture did you now create in those work departments so that they achieve the goal of being successful at winning at having their floor mentioned? Mm. That's what right. comes they... into my head. Yeah, I hear consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're seeing I the really positive hear consequence that. of the numbers going up, but what are the negative consequences? Mm -hmm. If they were all in line with those motivating factors, it would be golden. So your points are absolutely correct. Trusting that there's recognition that the departments shift, the nurses or you know, the cleaning people may not respond to the same motivators. I thought I heard it was only for those competitive folks they use that approach. I may not have heard properly. It was. Tanya says yes, it was. So that's great. All right. We only have a couple minutes left, right, um, Tamara? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. So um, I'd like to hear um, any final thoughts on how what you think about this idea going forward for you, how it might apply or uh, why it might not work um, or was helpful. So you can just raise your hand if you want to comment. Kelvin, I'm, what about you? Am I putting you on the spot? Because you do a lot of this work uh, and so I'm wondering uh, what, what you think. Um, yeah, Rose, I you know, I really like these ideas and we're very attracted to the ideas of um, empathy. Um, I'm going to reflect back to um, Sandra um, before I thought she touched on an interesting point and 
Uh, and I likened that to thinking about when we look at what's happening out there in, in the general uh, community of the mother, watch, we're watching a lot of blame going on and finger pointing. Uh, and, you know, this group is not doing this right or we don't like what that group's saying and those sorts of things. And it sort of took me back to, you know, the principles of like a, a, um, a transactional analysis, that, that parent-child communication that's going on. And I thought what Sandra was touching back is, um, we need a lot more adult-to-adult -adult communication, a bit of connection with purpose and trust and empathy and understanding. So I'm connecting that back into that thinking and, you know, um, coming at it from a position of humble inquiry, um, communication, build trust. And I think that will de-energise the, the stress and the aggravation and those sorts of things. That, that would be it for me. Thank you, Connor. All right, it's nine o'clock. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank, Thank you very much. You everyone. everyone. See you in a Bye. month. Bye. Bye. Bye.